Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seek, Go, Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. Thank you so much for listening, downloading, sharing. I am getting so many comments, so much feedback, and I appreciate it so much. I just want to ask you to continue doing that, and I just want to tell you that I really do appreciate it. If you would like to get in touch with us, there's been some people that have reached out to us. You can go to seekgocreate.com. That's just the word seekgocreate.com. No spaces in between. Or you could email us at connect at seekgocreate.com. I just want to tell you, we do appreciate you and want to provide great content, interviews, and value. And today is no exception to that. We have Ryan Haley as our guest. And the first thing I want to say is Ryan is a friend. We can talk about a lot of things, and I've got his bio here I'm about to read. And listen, we all know bios sound awesome and things like that, but uh, Ryan is a friend of mine, and, and I, I cherish his friendship, and I appreciate it. And so we're going to have fun with the conversation today, and it's a little bit different and unique today because we're actually face-to-face. Welcome, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's usually because, you know, I'm RVing and traveling, and most guests, I'm at a distance. We're on Zoom, so... I'm excited that we're able to just sit here and be around each other. So that could mean it's a lot longer, shorter. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, Ryan has a background in the military, business, ministry. He is the host of a podcast that's titled A Better Way. And he has just written a book called A Better Way, God's Design for Less Stress, More Rest, and Greater Success. And I'm going to read just before I have him tell us what he does. I'm going to read his bio off the back of the book, and I'm actually holding a copy of it. It's not released yet. This is, what is this copy I've got? These are called the author proof copies. Author proof copies. So this is pretty valuable here that I've got my hands on. Limited edition for sure. Limited edition. (laughs) And I have been privileged to do a read through the early stages of this book. So um, so I consider myself, that's a great honor. Let me read this bio though, and then we're going to get into some questions. I'm going to have Ryan, because there's a lot of, I'll say, potential gold mines, landmines, all types of things with, with less stress, more rest, and greater success. So we're going to take some time with that. But Ryan is a former U.S. Navy officer, helicopter pilot, that's super cool, Afghanistan combat veteran, and a Pentagon defense budget and now analyst, sorry, almost said that wrong. I was actually thinking he probably can't tell us anything about any of those jobs. As the founder of A Better Way, he is called to inspirational writing, speaking, coaching, teaching, and counseling. He and I met each other at Bible school. He's a real estate investor, uh, has an MBA from the Naval Postgraduate School, a postgraduate business certificate from Georgetown, and a degree in biblical studies from Karis Bible Bible College, also his minister's license. So that means you can do it all. And he lives now in the uh, the mountains here of Colorado. So Ryan, that awesome bio, this is what I like to do to start off though. In your own words, you got 20 seconds in an elevator. What do you do? I am an inspirational content creator and real estate investor who tries to show people and demonstrate through my my own life how the supernatural meets the practical based on a relationship with Jesus and a revelation of God's grace. Cool. Just made that up right now. That's the first time out of my mouth. That that could have been like Holy Spirit. (laughs) I think it might have been. We were joking before we turned the mic on. I said, all right, I'm going to ask you some tough questions. All right, question number one, is the earth really (laughs) 6,000 years old? Um, 
And next question. <laughs> so yeah, that came out pretty well for just off the cuff. I'd never thought about that before, but that, I think that, that sums it up. That is good. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. So, um, so let's do this first. Again, I've, I've read through this, and you guys can tell just from the bio that Ryan has an extensive background. He would be, like a lot of people listening, I know you probably would fit in this category, what many would consider a high performer. And, you know, Ryan's nodding here as we're talking. And, you know, the, I, don't, I don't think there's an arrogance with saying you're a high performer. You were created and built to, to do stuff. And, and a lot of people, they do more than others, and you do a lot of stuff from this bio. But give just a brief background, where you're from, and kind of what led you up to this military experience, because I want to pause right there. So let's just kind of quickly move through that and get to the military experience. Yeah, so I was born in 1980, believe it or not, in Portland, Oregon, and I got saved when I was about eight years old at a local non-denominational church and grew up in a Christian home. Um, Like you said, definitely, and I talk about this in the book at the very beginning, I am definitely wired for performance and excellence and some really good things, but I've also found there's a very dark uh, downside to that, uh, the other edge of the sword, if you will. So I struggled quite a bit with uh, anxiety, uh, legalism in spiritual terms, uh, certainly performance orientation throughout um, school and work in the military and business even. And that's, you know, that's an ongoing battle, but it's something that I do believe God's given me a revelation of. But I did um, ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps, so I got a college scholarship when I went to the University of San Diego, I got commissioned, once I graduated from there as a naval officer, went to flight school um, to be a Navy helicopter pilot. And that is, um, I don't know exactly where you wanted to pause, but coming, coming through that process um, of performing well, doing well in school, you know, extracurricular activities, sports, Eagle Scout, National Honor Society, all that stuff, you know, it wasn't something my parents had to drill into me. I think I'm naturally wired like this. Okay. And then the military kind of more reinforced that's that really, once I that's got really there. That's really what I was going to ask. I mean, I, I know the time frame you grew up in. I'm probably the generation before that. There actually was a lot of cultural performance. Uh, there was probably some where I grew up. What, what do you think? I mean, was it genetic? Was it because of where you were? Why <laughs> were you wired that way? Well, I mean, obviously you'd have to ask God that more than anyone, but I think it's a combination of genetics and environment. I mean, I was always a self-starter, as I talk about in the book. My mom laughs when she says, when I was a little kid, even from like before I can even remember, I would line my toys and my shoes up with military precision. I was always super clean, managed money really well. I just, I was, you know, I guess I'm wired like this, but I think also picking things up, my mom's kind of the same way in a lot of ways. And so uh, I think it's a combination of, you know, genetics and environment. And like I said, once I got into the military, that was, you know, gone. That went to another level for sure. But I was always wired like that, which is why the military seemed to be a good fit. You know, my parents told me about it from an early age, and that's why I was open to the idea. Um, Ultimately, I wanted a college scholarship, so that's what kind of persuaded me. But my parents, my dad was in the military for a couple years during Vietnam and all that in the Air Force. So, I mean, they 
they seemed to think it was a natural fit, and I could I could see that too. So you, it was a military family that you came you know, from. You know, I wouldn't say we were a military family necessarily, although it is true that my grandpa served in World War II in the Army. My dad served in the Air Force in Vietnam, and I happened to serve in the Navy. You know, post 9/11. So yes, I guess you could say we are a military family, but I don't think that was like a, a really big part of our culture or family values necessarily growing up. Although you know, a sense of God and country and patriotism, respect for authority, all that kind of basic stuff was in there, but it wasn't like a huge part of our family identity, I wouldn't say, or mine. You know, one of the things that I've, as a coach and kind of doing what I do, I'm always fascinated by how we become hmm. what we are. And as you were just saying that, I don't, I don't think I'm arguing with it, but you know, you, you have some military precision, excellence, pride, that is is in your lineage. That's true. That's and true. In your genealogy, I I don't. I mean, my my I have grandparents that were business people. Both my parents were educators. Right. And so you know that would probably be an interesting, maybe a different conversation of just the contrast. But but you know they they do say that a lot of what we become is as much uh, about the zip code that we live in or the country we're from as it is you know, the way we're created, things like that. Anyway, that's a little off topic there, but I, I, it seems as if, Ryan, that if you were performance-oriented, if you were created to do things and build and grow, that the military was probably going to throw some gas on that fire. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was always very, you know, thrived on structure and all that kind of stuff, too. So it was very helpful and it was a natural fit. But like, I think you used a good term, it threw gas on the fire, which is, again, uh, it's neither good nor bad. It simply is. And it's how you steward it, just like money or water or anything else. You know, it's not necessarily inherently good or evil. It's just how you use it. So I saw both sides of that for sure. Right. And, and because we've already brought up some spiritual context, and I know the book definitely doesn't shy away from that. During that time, what was going on spiritually? If the military was fueling that effort mindset, that accomplishment uh, mindset. Spiritually, I doubt you went all out heathen. Maybe? <laughs> I, it, it was a long, I would say it was a fairly gradual process that became pretty full blown by this point in the story. <laughs> So I, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it well, right? So yeah, so, that, so the all or nothing mentality for sure comes into play. You know, that was whether it was for school, sports, drinking, blacking out, or God, any and all things, exercise, all of it is going to be probably an all or nothing mentality. So, so, there, yes, so there's true. a little bit of a joke, and it's not a funny joke, but there's a joke in the family that we have that there's some relatives on my wife's side that they were either... 110% for God or 110% for <laughs> not God, you know, the enemy, <laughs> the devil. And uh, I, we did just say the devil on this podcast, so I don't think we have to bleep that out or not. But but anyway, it was there was no mediocrity. There was no middle ground. There was no lukewarm. It was one way or the other. It sounds like you yes. fit that category. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I always, um, like I said, I got saved when I was about eight years old, gave my life to Jesus. But... Um, I guess in one sense, you know, I just kind of contradict myself right now. I had kind of one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom growing up most of my life. And, you know, I, I think most people who knew me, a lot of my friends, most, I grew up in a very liberal city, Portland, Oregon, where most of my friends was public schools. Um, most of my friends were not Christians. And so 
I think uh, they would look at me and see that there was a difference in my life and probably that uh, Jesus is the reason for that. But I still dabbled in those things. And then towards the end of uh, high school, as I got accepted to college, all those things were kind of secure. I kind of started to coast on my laurels. You know, I kind of got senioritis the last half of my senior year. Grades started to slip. Not bad, but, you know, they weren't as good as they were. And then by the time I got to college, I was like, you know what? I have worked my butt off for so hard for so long that I am just going to enjoy myself. And in my mind, that meant, you know, drinking hard, um, unfortunately doing drugs, even though I was in ROTC and definitely knew I shouldn't be doing that. And so I think it's kind of... Um, it's the work hard, play hard mentality on the one hand that we kind of talked about a second ago. And at the same time, going into what we're going to talk about probably in a little bit, it's also the inevitable result of a performance orientation. You're going to burn fast and burn out, and it's going to be a pretty spectacular process when that happens. And so I think yeah. that's what happened to me. I had been so high strung for so long doing all this stuff, uh, performing for to get good grades, to get into the you know military and all this other stuff. And then it was like, okay, now I'm going to go hard in the other direction. And um, that kind of led did to... Did you think you earned it? Did you think you'd earned uh, it? That you was know, I kind of did. It was like, you know, I've done a lot. I've, this is time, like, I, I've worked my butt off, and now I'm here. I'm, I've arrived at the point, not the ultimate point, but I got into a good college. I got the military scholarship. I'm here, and now, by God, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor, and I'm going to go all out just as much on that side as I did <laughs> on the other. I think it's interesting you said, and now, by God. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, now, God probably didn't have a whole lot to do with yeah, that, but, yeah. but, but but I mean that whole reward, and you even use the word, you know, I did this, I did that, I did this, mm -hmm. I did that. So now I mm -hmm. can relax. I mean that's um, that's a tough cycle that could lead to some challenge. And I, I don't want us to go through your entire military career, but I do want to jump ahead to a pretty significant event mm -hmm. that occurred, which you do cover it in the book, so we don't have to go into all the detail, but. Cool, you were a helicopter pilot, but then there's some other things that happened related to that. Tell us that story real quick. Yeah, so that was kind of the, uh, I guess, that played out. What I talked about in college continued to play out. I worked really hard to um, get my wings, you know, as a pilot. Went through two and a half years of flight school. Um, it took a little longer because there was a lot of people in the pipeline. It got backed up with a bunch of people. So, um, you know, it was a long time. It was a lot of studying, a lot of hard work, a lot of stress. And I, as I talk about in my book, I very uh, in, emphatically um, put a bold on that word and an italic because I emphasize that I earned my wings, just like I had earned everything up until that point in my life. And don't get me wrong, there's a place, as we can maybe talk about, and I talk about in the book, for godly excellence that's fueled by grace. But when it's fueled by performance, um, it becomes toxic eventually. And so that same sense of working hard for the big payoff, that happened. I got my wings, got stationed back in San Diego, which is where, so I went to, um, after I graduated college in San Diego, I went to Florida for flight school at Pensacola and then follow-on orders. Ended up getting stationed back in San Diego where a lot of my friends from college still were. I still had a lot of friends, you know, it was in my mid-20s at this point. So still like kind of the same dynamic as we talked about earlier coming out of high same school mindset, college. Except same now mindset. Now except now you have money. Except now I have money. Now I have a BMW M3. Now I've got a condo that I paid for in Southern California in 2006. And all because know, of your job. effort. And all, all because all of because all the work of... I'd put in and the effort and the performance that yeah. had gotten me to that point. You've been rewarded. Right. Congratulations. Exactly. Right. And I was the emptiest I'd ever been at that point in my life, believe it or not. Mm. 
Yep. And so then what happened? So um, I was in a cycle of just kind of showing up, doing the minimum. Um, my performance orientation was still there, but I wasn't quite as I wasn't, first of all, I was surrounded by other very high performance type A, smart, you know, motivated people. So I was now struggling with this performance mentality and being subpar relative to my peers. So I was in a cycle of just going into work, doing the minimum, getting off so I could watch TV, hang out with my friends, uh, drink out, blackout, repeat. And so it was not uh, a good place to be in, even though on the exterior, like I said, I had all this stuff, I've got this job, you know, flying helicopters, all that looks great. But um, I w my heart wasn't in it. I, w I had no passion or purpose. I was not living up to my potential as a naval aviator or as just a human being or child of God. So I had completely strayed from God by this point. And on July 31st, 2007, I remember that because it's my dad's birthday, about a month before I was scheduled to go on my first deployment, I crashed a helicopter. You crashed a helicopter? I sure did. My own hands at the controls, pilot at the controls. Um, we were on a routine training flight in an outlying field in San Diego, and we simulate, um, we do a maneuver we call an auto-rotation where we simulate taking the engines offline. We don't actually kill the engines, but it's a maneuver we do in case we do lose engine power to get familiar with that flight profile. So I had done this hundreds of times, but I got significantly off safe parameters on this occasion. My airspeed got too low, my descent rate got too high, and when myself and the other pilot noticed it, because there's always two pilots in a helicopter, we both full, pulled full power around 100 feet altitude, but it was too late, couldn't stop the descent rate. We hit hard, broke off the right main landing gear, did a 180 and popped back up, but miraculously survived and retained control of the aircraft. I, I was gonna say, <laughs> you know, tough question, but should you have lived? I mean, would that is probably not, you know, at the time of recording this, there's just been a famous basketball player that, mm -hmm. that he and his family passed away in a, right. in a helicopter crash. And you, you, you don't hear of many people surviving helicopter crashes. Am I wrong on that? Or is that just my perception? I mean, it depends what happens, but I can tell you for sure in this, if you lose a tail rotor, that's a really bad day. We thank God that didn't happen. But in this case, um, we should not have survived. And the reason I say that is because the executive officer or second command of the squadron was the ranking uh, member of the safety mishap board that was evaluating all the data from the onboard sensors at the time of the crash and all kinds of follow-up tests and stuff. And he came up to me one day and he said, Ryan, I have run the models and the simulations through the computer seven ways from Sunday. And every single time when we run this through, your rotor blades hit the runway because you were pretty severely right wing down at the time of the impact. Every time your rotor blades hit the runway and you get into what we call dynamic rollover, where the aircraft rolls over multiple times, usually crushing the occupants. It's not something you typically walk away from. And he said, I have no idea how those rotor blades did not hit the runway. So there's a subtitle to your book that it says living a life that demands a supernatural explanation. Is there a supernatural explanation for you living through crashing a helicopter? I firmly believe that now. I you know, can't definitively say that, but in the safety mishap report, he chalked it up to severe coning, which is a term of where the blades end up getting at an extreme angle. And, um, but based on what he told me, which I just shared about this simulation and all the stuff that we had, all this sensors, I mean, we had all the data there. 
it does seem, especially in light of deeper revelations I've had of the supernatural and God's protection and all these kinds of things, um, I don't know if it was angels, I don't know what it was, but I definitely think it was supernatural. And there's another element of this that was supernatural as well, because the air crewman in the back of the helicopter um, had his harness unlocked, but for, for no apparent reason, right before we entered this particular maneuver, there was literally nothing that would have indicated to him that this was necessary. He just had an unction to lock his harness, and it's a really good thing he did because myself and the pilot in the front, we had some, you know, we walked away largely unscathed. There may be some things now I'm dealing with some back and neck stuff, but at the time, we walked away pretty much unscathed. He had some fairly significant neck and back injuries, but they would certainly have been much worse had he not providentially, I'm going to say, lock his harness mm -hmm. right before we entered this maneuver for no apparent reason. Yeah. So there's that. There's, you know, the, the actual fact that we survived the crash. There was the incredible landing back at the field I had to do because I was on the right side, and that's where the, you know, the landing gear was gone, and I was a mess. But somehow, I mean, I could not have placed that with a crane more perfectly straight and level with this makeshift crash pad of, you know, pallets and mattresses, you know, that people that were thrown together at the last second. So, there was so a you're lot good, of but you're not that good, right? <laughs> yeah. I would I mean, love to say I had that level of focus <laughs> at the time of the, through the entire flight that day, which is what I said when I first landed. And I I could be good. That's another aspect of the all or nothing is sometimes I lose focus, but if it's, you know, big situations, I can be that good. But I, I mean, I don't think it would have been possible to have placed that more perfectly straight and level um, on that makeshift crash pad that we put together at the last second. And then there's, you know, before that even happened, we won't go into it, but just getting into the military in the first place was an amazing miracle because, um, because of some uh, questions on the initial application about drugs. I I didn't even put this in the book because I just didn't want to. You know, I was already getting over my word count. But I mean, it was an, it was a miracle that I was able to get let into the program at the last second when I had been denied because of drug use. And then multiple times after this uh, whole scenario, before and after the crash, drunk driving, things I should have gotten pulled over. I mean, I've got stories for days of, unfortunately, on this part of my life, we're talking about the supernatural protection of God because of my idiocy and my bad decision-making that yeah. that really, by all rights, should have That's killed more me mercy, people. That's more mercy than That's grace. That's much like... more mercy, yes, and we can talk about the difference in that. But yes, there has been time after time after time, just even up to this point that we're talking about in my life at the age of about 27 or so, there were things that I think most people could look at and say, okay, one of those things is pretty pretty unusual in itself but you start to add it all up and you know the it's a series of supernatural events mm -hmm. that, that you mentioned here so all right there, there's a lot more to this story with the helicopter and your military i'm going to leave that for people to get that from the book because i think we could get bogged down with that because there's some things i want to move yeah. to but the question i want to ask is was that your wake-up call was it the beginning of a process or did you just keep on living the, um, I don't want to say the prodigal life, but were you, did you just keep doing what you know? What, what changed? So it was a huge wake-up call for me. And um, a whole other miraculous set of circumstances, which I won't go into now, was being able to take six days of leave or vacation to go visit my parents during my birthday in Mexico, um, which shouldn't have happened, but uh, I believe that was God's favor that my commanding officer let me do that. And I got down on my knees on September 8th, my birthday of 2007, and rededicated my life to the Lord because I kind of realized in retrospect that I had, I would have said I was spiritually dead at the time, but in, in retrospect, I'd say I was spiritually comatose. And this was kind of like the paddles, you know, that, you know, yeah. boom, clear, you know, here yeah, it is. Yeah. 
And so I would love to say everything changed immediately, but it didn't. A lot of things changed, but I still had some, you know, it's, it's a process. Of it's a journey, yeah, yeah. Lifestyle change. But yes, that was a significant milestone. And then there was a gradual process from there that continued to unfold over time. Sure. And, and, and listen, we're still in it. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, we're still in this growth process. And, and one of the things I think I've joked around with you a little bit is, you know, if you write a book titled A Better Way, it puts a little pressure on you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and and so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to shift a little bit. And and listen, I'm, I'm obviously recommending people get the book and we'll tell them as we wrap up here how they can go about doing that. But I want to really dive into some of the, I guess, bigger context items, the bigger topics, mm -hmm. because that's what I really want people to pull away from, yeah. from this conversation, because I think that's the message that you're wanting to get across. So mm -hmm. first thing, first thing that I want to do is you use the word success and you and I've had this conversation often. Mm -hmm. And that is that the way we define success in our society has in many ways caused our issues. Maybe if you go back to when you were growing up and things right. like that. So my first question is how do you define success? And then, you know, what commentary do you have about the way success mm -hmm. drives people like you and I and the performers in our society? Well, that's a very timely question. I didn't go into this in the book because I hadn't even quite got that revelation that I just recently had. I am defining success now by simply being faithful to do what God told me to do. And I would say that was very recently demonstrated by the book launch event that you were actually at last weekend on Saturday, where if I go by the numbers, attendance, donations raised, it was an abysmal failure. But I consider it a win and a success because God told me to do this. I'm going to be faithful to do what he told me to do. I'm going to commit to the process, but the outcome is in his hands. And that's what I'm leaving to him. So in my mind, even though from a numbers perspective, it was nothing successful about that event other than me showing up and being faithful to it. Plus, I felt some joy. Once I actually got in front of people and started talking and connected with you and some other people that showed up, I felt really good about it. But the, the real success in my mind for that was simply being faithful to have the faith and trust in God to do what he said and leaving the outcome to him. Yeah, that's good because in many ways we can look at dollars and cents numbers, I mean, you know, social media, podcast listens, I mean, all of these things that we have the ability to measure. And, and you know, you and I are in the business realm. You know, the way we many times would attempt to measure success is profit. And it's unfortunate, but one of my biggest failures probably as time goes on has become one of my biggest successes mm -hmm. because of the transformation. Right. You probably have examples like that too. Right. Yeah. I talk about the, in the book, the uh, divine trampoline where the lower you go, the higher you actually go. I call it going from set back to set up. And that was, you know, for me, a lot of things in the, you know, with the crash, you know, that was the lowest point, but it set me up on that trajectory. So I think God really can and will use our failures, our setbacks, our screw ups, you know, our whatever it is in life. Um, not that he is, not that he made me crash that helicopter, not that he's sovereignly controlling all these things like disease and sickness and terrible events that cause people to turn around for good. He will use what we give him though. And that's a big thing to me. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to concentrate on now is committing to the process and letting God be 
the God of the outcome, as Shea Bynes says in Kingdom Driven Entrepreneur. And as I'm learning experientially, even in the very process of raising the funds and finalizing everything for this book launch. So it's an ongoing process for me, definitely. Sure. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. Early part of this year for me, one of the things that I believe that was a, a goal of mine was to just be focused on what are my actions, mm. not the results. Yeah which is difficult for those people that are wired the way we are. Would you agree? Absolutely. It is. It's, it feels so backwards from everything you've been taught. It feels the exact opposite of what you should do. And there's multiple instances in my life I can go through if you want to get to that point of explaining what I mean by these things in the book. But it is so counterintuitive. It goes against every bone in my body, against the grain. It is, it's the exact opposite Oh, it feels, sounds, and looks right in many cases. And yet, when it is God, there will always be some kind of confirmation and manifestation. And so it's important not to measure and focus on these things like metrics and profits and you know, whatever typical you know, measurements we would use. But I do believe eventually, if it really is God, he'll speak for himself and it will, it will manifest itself in some practical way. Sure. All right. So, so there are people, I know we've got listeners that are followers of Christ like you and I are. However... I also know we're in the entrepreneur space on those podcast platforms. We've got people, I hope they're still with us, that are listening, but they might be going, you know, I, I, God, yes, that type stuff. Some might be saying that your life was challenged because of God and your belief, and you and I don't believe that way, but I'm going to let you address that just briefly, and then I've got a follow-up, so... So God did it to you. Oh, right. Yeah. So I don't believe that for a second. I used to believe in more quote unquote sovereignty of God. Uh, now I believe God in his sovereignty has given us as mean God, big, bad, mean God. Right. Yeah. The, the big God with the camera upstairs can recording all your mistakes and the big stick to hit you over the head when you screw up. No, I don't believe that at all. Now God set up the universe and the natural and spiritual laws, such as sowing and reaping, you know, decisions and consequences cause and effect. Absolutely. And I was reaping my decisions, even in the same time as being spared from them to a degree, I believe because of supernatural protection or mercy, but I don't believe that God uses, I don't believe that the tragedy and heartache and pain and suffering that most of us unfortunately have to experience in order to truly let go of our you know, need for control and to do things our own way, I don't think that God is putting those things on us. I don't think he gave you know, somebody cancer to teach them a lesson. I don't believe he made me crash that helicopter to bring me to my senses but he will use what we give him to work with. And I believe that is the case that would happen with me. Yeah, as you and I have discussed, I, you know, we had a business failures and financial collapse in 2008. And I do not believe that God brought that on. Right. But I know he used it well with me. Yep. And sure it doesn't did. sound like, and I, I think you would agree, he didn't bring helicopter down mm-hmm. and all that. Now, I believe he could have had his hand involved with keeping the blades from hitting the runway. The blades yeah. from hitting the runway, like we said. Yeah. But he has used that in your life. Would mm-hmm. you be writing a book called A Better Way if it were not for that event and the way God used you after that? You know, that's an interesting question. I think it would be easy to just say, no, there's no way. But even back in an early stage training, 
when I was looking at the what we call SCEDS, the schedules office, and they had so many things to move around, even in the two bird squadron, as we call it, two operational helicopters, there are so many different things that come into play with trying to get those birds, you know, the maintenance, the mechanical stuff, the operational stuff, the weather, the all there's you would not believe how much goes into getting that stuff done. And when I saw a hundred and twenty plane squadron in the primary squadron where I was at, it was just mind boggling how that could all happen. And then it made me just that picture in my mind really made me see how creative and how um, how much wisdom and how much bigger God is than us to work. That every little thing could happen. He could move it around. He can turn a setback to a setup. He can turn tragedy into triumph. However you want to talk about it, I think there's so many different ways he can work this out. And in fact, I even have a blog post called God the Ultimate Judo Master because in judo, if you're familiar... So you, you say so you let me just make sure I'm clear. <laughs> so you're saying God's a judo master. Is that Ryan Haley here is saying I am saying I believe God is the ultimate judo master because in judo or those types of martial arts from the little bit of uh, research I did, one of the ways that they can actually be effective is by using the force direction and momentum of the enemy's attack to actually then turn it around and use it against the enemy for their own good so that when they're coming at you, you can, if you're able to flow with it in a certain way and manage that energy, you can actually end up in an advantageous position because of being attacked. Yeah. Now, I think that God is the ultimate master of orchestrating these things that the enemy meant for evil that then turn out for good, but there's a lot of free will and human choice involved in that. And so I think it's both and. I think we co-labor with God. I think my decision to be better instead of bitter, to humble myself instead of be prideful, to you know really be open to what God had to say, co-labored and maybe influenced or shaped that process to a degree. And at the same time, I believe God's you know, working things that we can't even fathom at this level of complexity. Like I said, I mean, even just the two two plane squadron versus the 120 versus the entire universe, it's just mind boggling. So I think God has so much more creativity, and um, uh, you know, it's it's a comforting thought to just say, well, God's in control of everything, you know, or that God's not in control of anything because then we either have control or He has total control. But it's just cleaner. It's e it's a nice little security blanket. And that's kind of been a major paradigm shift I've had in the last several years that's taken me out of that. So I believe in God's absolute, active, personal, minute involvement in every one of our affairs. But I don't believe in the God who's pulling all the strings and has total autonomy over all decisions that are ever made. I think that he uses everything for good. And there are certain things that are beyond human influence. Every knee will bow to Jesus at the end of time. Yeah, There's certain well, things. But at some point, though, control is part of the character trait that performers have. Yes. We want to control our environment, yes. control the situation, control if yes. we have work, people work around us, control if you have relationships, spouses, and things like that. So so there's this bit of a conundrum when you start yep. talking about control and then release of that control, like you just said. Talk mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, so one of the things I talk about in the book and the podcast, actually it was your podcast, first time I ever coined this term that came out of my mouth, and what I said was, we can have it our way or a better way. And when you're a high performer, when you're intelligent, when you can get things done, there it's, I mean, it's true, we're made in the image of God. It is incredible what human beings can accomplish, even apart from him, you know, if we can say apart from him to a degree that, um, you know, they're not following his guidance. But um, I think that the... The idea that there's a better way where we 
have the option to co-labor or cooperate um, with someone who has infinite power, infinite knowledge, and is ever-present, and also, most importantly, infinitely loving and gracious, then a whole new world opens up to you. So I'm, f- well, I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the exact prompt that you gave me a second ago. No, it was, it was just that control. It yeah, was like, control. okay, somebody who likes to control, right. how do you turn that over? So, that, so that's a really, I think for people like that, um, whatever your thing is, whether it's control or it could be any number of other things, but for me it was definitely, uh, and still is, a high control orientation mm-hmm. that when I was completely out of control, crashing a helicopter, out of control with my drinking, out of control with so many areas of life, Seeing where that got me was very humbling, and it helped me to recognize that I had made a mess of my own life and that maybe it would actually be better to give more control to God. Mm, Okay. All right. I'm going to shift a little bit, and I'm watching our time. I want to keep this tight. There's so many stories, so many things we could go into in the book. We're going to allow people to to get that on their own, read Mm -hmm. the book. But there's a word you use called rest. And you and I operate in church circles. And listen, we have to admit there's some churchy words that a lot of times we use. And so I'm going to I'm going to ask you to talk about this word, but not in a preachy way. I want us to talk about it for someone who may not have been around a church that have heard, oh, you need to be rested. You need to be at rest. You need Mm -hmm. to be at rest. Because that sounds like going and taking a nap to (laughs) some people. Right. So talk about rest, because the because, again, the the. One of the subtitles you have here is God's design for less stress, more rest, and greater success. We've talked about success. We've talked about God's, his design, but let's talk about rest. Mm-hmm. So for me, resting actually almost requires more intentionality and straining than doing things. It's harder work? It's almost harder work because my natural inclination is to overfunction and think that I need to control everything and that I have ultimate responsibility. And that's not actually something I want. It's almost like this false burden that I've adopted over time and recently in the last couple of years started to repent of, to change my mind about. And so when I say resting... Um, I can give you one example. Uh, I was I was building my real estate practice. After I got out of the Navy in 2014, I became a full-time realtor for a year and a half. Just when I had been working really hard to get some of these um, leads generated, fill the pipeline, I was sourcing all my own leads, I had this lack of peace about moving forward. And I took four days of rest off the grid, monastery in Virginia, no technology. Literal monastery. And Literally a monastery. Silent, personal silence at a monastery in Virginia. And I rested and I heard the Lord. And I mean, that's a big deal. For someone who's a realtor, you're you know sourcing all your own leads. You're working by referral. You're constantly wired 24-7. To take four days off is a huge deal. So that was a big sacrifice. But as I did that, I felt God lead me out of real estate and to just wait on him for the next thing. For the next three months, I, I referred all my leads to other realtors and just waited on him. And then he set into motion this whole chain of events that I couldn't have ever possibly come up with that led me across the country to Colorado to work for a startup company. Then skipping through a whole lot of stuff, when that company went belly up after about eight months and I had a serious injury after a snowboarding accident and all these things fell through, I had yet another opportunity to rest where I wasn't doing much. And God told me the the most important productive thing you can do today, Ryan, even if you never leave this room, is just spend time with me in the word journaling, praying. So I did that. Once again, I feel like he's saying he's going to drop something in my lap. And as another crazy series of events happened, it brings me back out to Washington, D.C., and five months later, back out to Colorado to Karis Bible College. So in these periods, these critical formative moments, 
where things really happened and got lined up, I wasn't stressing out or doing things or putting out resumes or trying to come up with these plans. I was just sitting, being still, listening to him by praying, reading the word. Journaling is a huge part of that process for me. And then he would tell me something and then it would be confirmed and sure enough, it would manifest in pretty spectacular and sometimes very immediate ways. Sure, and but isn't the book, and I, I think this is part of your process, and I think this will be a good thing for us to get close to, to, to wrapping, you just mentioned a few events mm -hmm. that you went to a time of rest. Mm -hmm. But aren't we called the better way is to be in as best we can a constant state of rest? What does that look like? So that is the part that I'm really getting more of a revelation of. Even as I said, in the midst of activity, right? So doing things like fundraisers and events and writing this book and all this stuff, adopting a posture where I'm at rest in my spirit, in my you know emotions, in my mind and thoughts, because I am assured of success. Again, that success being my faithfulness to just do what God says and his faithfulness to take care of the outcomes and results in a way that are way better than what I would think of. And so that inner rest, which again, I still struggle with every day, is to just know that even if I'm in the middle of doing something, it's not lack of activity all the time. There's, like you said, there's times where that happened. But even in the midst of doing things where it's not, it's a difference between striving and toil, fighting an uphill battle, stressed out, really hating what I'm doing, which I've had those experiences, versus being in a place where maybe your activity is very high, you're working long hours, you're going above and beyond the expectations that are called of you, but it feels like you're in your sweet spot, you're in your flow because it's in the way that God's designed you and you know that he's part of it and he starts to bless it. And so it can be times of you know inactivity and stillness, literally like I experienced, or it can be in the midst of the complete opposite, but the heart posture, the mentality or paradigm that you have is one where I don't have the stress because I'm not ultimately responsible for the results. I'm just doing what God said, and I'm leaving the, you know, the outcome in His hands, and that makes it a very different proposition. Mm -hmm. um, even you know when it's difficult, like me putting on that fundraiser, I just was like, yeah, I'm just going to show up, and if, if I show up and I do this, that's a win. That is a position of rest, even though I'm doing something that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you think it's a place? that we ever arrive at, or is this going to be just a constant journey? No, I think, you know, perfection, I think in the world's words, is a static point. It's a end point, whereas perfection in the kingdom of God is an ongoing process of conformance to the image of Christ. It's an ongoing performance uh, of, on God's part with us where we are becoming better versions of ourselves, and that is an ongoing dynamic, never-ending process. And so I think that is the difference is that we walk this out, you know, throughout our entire lives. We go deeper in it. We experience different facets of it, but I don't think it's ever like one and done. Yeah. I think it's interesting for me because I, many times sports can give us an example and it's almost like when you see an athlete or maybe a team that get in what is called the zone. Mm-hmm we'll use a basketball player that, you know, he can't miss. Right. Or a golfer who all of a sudden the, the cup is <laughs> yeah. like three feet wide. And it's like, you know, and something like that. And what's interesting is to get to a place in life where we're in that zone or I, I think it's the word Sabbath, it's rest. Mm. And, and I think that's what you are looking to convey in your book. Is that correct? 
I think it's both and. It's sometimes there are times where I know I have been pulled out of my activity to literally take a rest, be off the grid, like I said, at the uh, monastery or forced rest where I was in my apartment and injured and out of a job and all that. Um, but more importantly, it's the mentality that goes with that. And then from that rest, we can work and things happen. And in all those cases, things happen usually pretty quickly. It usually was pretty dynamic, was very uncertain. But I was in, um, I think you described what a uh, TED Talk psychologist describes as flow, you know, where it's almost this unconscious competence where you're just in your element, you're in the zone, you're not even thinking about it, but it's very intentional, you know, um, engagement that gets you to that point. And so that's the intentional engagement that gets you to that point is getting that deeper intimacy with God, experiencing those things together so that you can have not only those, you know, kind of one-off moments of going off to the monastery or whatever it is, and then these great breakthroughs, but it becomes a lifestyle. And that's what I'm really just starting to tap into now. Every minute, every day, right? all the time, that right. peace, that... Um, Listen, I, we're, we're a little bit longer than I wanted to go because I wanted us to kind of really focus on some things here. And obviously, we're going to let people know where to get the book. But just, I guess, last question related to the book, and then I've got a few follow-up questions as we wrap up. The book of Better Way, is it a biography, a teaching book, a preaching book? Is it a spiritual book? Uh Yes, no, all of that? <laughs> I would say yes. <laughs> it yes. is yes to all those things. So uh, I kind of struggled with how I was going to um, set this whole thing up. And what I really felt as I started to write this book back in March of last year, as I was trying to you know structure it and have this point for this chapter and this verse and this main illustration and da-da-da, what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me is get rid of I appreciate that, Ryan, but don't worry. I will insert all the points, all the teaching points, all the illustrations. Just tell your story. And that's what I do on the podcast, and that's what you've done, Tim, on my podcast and others, and had people on the show. And I think that's really important and really powerful is the, the personal stories, the testimonies, the conversations that we have. I think those are much more engaging. Now, I'm not opposed to, like, you know, just monologue teachings, but I think those are really important. That's what I felt the Lord leading me to do is ultimately the purpose of this book is to help people see God's goodness in a more real, deep, and practical way in their personal lives and in their businesses and every other context of life. So it's really emphasizing God's grace and um, the rest that we talked about in that context that we described it. But it's using my life stories as well as some other people's testimonies and stories throughout the book to really bring these deep scriptural truths to life in ways that people can relate to and understand, hopefully. Yeah, that's good. Now, I'm, I know our timing with recording this is kind of unique, but how do people keep in touch with you? How, how will they get the book? We'll, we'll include whatever links we can sure. that we have in our notes, but uh, tell us, especially at the timing that we're at, how to keep in touch with you. Obviously, you've got the podcast, blog, other things, mm -hmm. but and also where to get the book. Yeah, so um, we are probably, I don't have a set date yet because I've still got to submit my final proofs, uh, hopefully tomorrow to the uh, publisher. So I, I don't I, know I bet exactly. it will be out by the time this podcast is released. Yes, most likely it will be. I'm thinking it's going to be within hopefully a couple weeks from today, which is February 26th, I think, or something yeah, like that. It'll probably be released so, just, just after that. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, the best way you can stay in touch with everything and know what's going on is go to abetterwaypodcast.com. 
And then you can sign up on that homepage. Um, you can see all the different tabs we've got for the blog, for the podcast, for the book. There's an embed in the homepage about the book. And then if you scroll to the bottom of that page, you can sign up to be on our email list. So you just have to put your first and last name and your email in, and then you'll automatically be kept up to date on everything that's going on. So that's the best way if you just go to a abetterwaypodcast.com. That should have all the information you need from there. Excellent. So the podcast is a way that people can definitely keep in touch with you, which I enjoy. It's in my uh, subscribes, and I listen and, uh, and enjoy it. Ryan, I appreciate you being here. I tell you, I, I, I knew we would have fun with the conversation. I also knew that we would probably have about two hours of content. I'm pretty excited that I'm going to get it in in sort of a, you know, a time frame we were looking for. I've got one last question before I do a wrap, and that is the title of this podcast is Seek go create. The thing that I like to do is just ask guests which one of those words kind of jump out at you and why seek, go create. I didn't even give, I didn't prep you for this at all, did I? But uh, they're all, they're all words that probably have some, some meaning and, and possibilities there. Yeah. You know, um, at first seek jumped out to me and all of them are good at t different times. I've done all those things, but I've been seeking for a long time. I've been going, coming and going and coming and going, as you see in the book. But I think what really speaks to me right now is create because what I've really learned through this process in the last you know decade plus is that at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of things God's given me talents or gifts or interests in. But at the end of the day, what I believe I am, as I said at the beginning of this podcast is I am an inspirational content creator. So my, purpose on this earth, my joy, my passion, my skill set is to create inspirational content, whether that's a book, a blog, a podcast, teachings, you know, speeches, whatever it is. That is the part that I'm really, uh, in fact, we were just talking before the interview about, you know, getting some connections to people who can help make an online course that I'm working on uh, a reality. So right now, I think I'm in the create phase of all this because that's just what's really on my heart and I'm just about to launch a book and I'm believing that's going to open up a lot more opportunities create more content and get more connections to people plus cool you know we're created I think we were created to create Ryan thank you so much for being on the the podcast the book is a better way God's design for less stress more rest and greater success and it'll be available via his website or probably most places that you buy. But I recommend you get it. I have read an initial, yep. an initial uh, a proof of the book. It is excellent. And I just want to tell you, tell everyone that I really, I really appreciate Ryan taking the time to share with us. For those of you that are listening, I do hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I have a big favor to ask for you, ask of you. Please subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the Seek Go Create podcast. That will connect you with us so that you do not miss any of the episodes. We usually release a new episode every Monday, but we have been known to add an extra episode on Thursdays every so often. Also, if you have enjoyed this podcast, it would be great if you would rate or review us depending on which platform you listen on. But here's my big request, and I'm going to ask a big, big favor. Please share this episode so that others can enjoy the podcast. Can, they can enjoy the message of rest and a better way that Ryan has shared. They can enjoy the other messages that we've had on our podcast with our guest. Currently, numbers say that there are about 700,000 podcasts available for people to listen to. Most people will admit that they listen to podcasts that are recommended by friends or connections. Text this episode to a few friends. Send it to your contacts via email. Put the link in your social media channels. Share it, share it, share it. That would be a huge favor to me. I know it would for Ryan. 
and anyone else that needs to hear this message. So I appreciate you doing that. Thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to connecting with you again on the Seek, Go, Create podcast. Thank you.